Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants, and how they found their own software success. And now, let's get started with the show. Hi, everyone. This is Jordy Wardman here, host of the Big Break Software Podcast, where I talk to top leaders in the software field like Seth Godin, Andrew Warner of Mixergy, and many more. This is a show where we talk to proven founders about their 0 to 30,000 MRR journey and beyond. Today's episode is brought to you by OneStop.fm. We have 45 developers waiting to take your idea to fruition. If you want a reliable full-stack development team with top talent that costs half as much as in-house developers, and you know you can trust your SaaS or mobile app with us, we'll give you the first 30 days no risk, and we guarantee being on time and on budget, or we finish the project at no extra cost. Contact us at OneStop.fm. Let's talk about your SaaS MVP project today. Today in the Big Break Software Podcast, we have Todd Larson, CEO of Tech Leaders. Tech Leaders helps tech startups deliver better products by training technical experts to become people leaders. Todd is going to tell us his SaaS background, how he's able to grow and sell some other SaaS, and how he helps SaaS founders make their products better through his coaching program. Program. How are you today, Todd? Hey, I'm good, Jordy. Thanks for having good. me. Good, good, great. So why don't you just sort of start off, how long have you been in uh, software as a service? Sure. So I'd say I got my uh, start officially in productized software about 12 years ago. And that's around the time when I joined Groupon. This is kind of when they were really I remember, going stratospheric. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. that's when I first got into it. And you know, I saw what it took to do things at scale and how to, more importantly, maintain things at scale and grow while you're at a certain point. Uh, yeah. And then at that point, I went into the startup world because I really wanted to see what it took to go from nothing to see the other part of it. And so that's when I went uh, to join Digit.co with the CEO, Ethan, uh, as the founding team there. Okay. And so, and where was all of this? Where Where's the action happening? Yeah. So I think that's another key part of my story is that I've done a lot of this via remote work. And so I was in the office for about the first year of my time at Groupon. And that's when mm -hmm. I really committed to remote work. This would have been around 2012. At that point, I left the Chicago headquarters. That's where Groupon was, was headquartered. And I went to Oregon. And from there, spent some more time at, at Groupon. But that's when I actually joined with uh, forces with Ethan Block, the CEO of Digit. And that's when we really started to grow out the team. At, at that point, it was just he and I. He was in San Francisco. I was in Portland. And I would come down to San Francisco uh, to co-work occasionally. Uh, but for the most part, I was remote during that time. Okay. And so tell me about Digico. What what did it do? I'm not yeah, so with them. It, it still uh, is in action right now. And this is really one of the the early fintech companies. You know, at the time, mint.com was like kind of the main thing in the fintech space. And it didn't really do anything. It was just a read-only dashboard for the most part. And so uh, with Digit, we came along and said, what if we could automate uh, some of these financial health tools? Like, you know, this would have been 2012-ish. Um, mm -hmm. You know, how could we automate savings? How could we automate investment? How could we automate bill pay? Things like that through a single smart algorithm. So that, that's kind of the background of Digit. And over, you know, started off as a free product. Over the years, we monetized it, grew. Uh, I left at Series C. Um, mm -hmm. And then just recently now, um, it was acquired by Opportune, which is another fintech in the space. Okay. And why'd you leave? 
You know, I think after seven years, I was ready to start something new. And, you know, we'd reached it about 100 employees. And I think I've realized I really love small and starting oh, the, zero to okay. one, the zero to yeah. one in particular, because I think that's like so exciting and really where you set a company up for long term success. Uh, yeah. A lot of people move hastily over engineer stuff early on. I love the early game. So okay. I would say I realized I, I missed that. And so I wanted to do it all over again. Okay, fair enough. And did you did you have equity in in Digit? I did. Yeah, I exercised my options. And, you know, because I was so early, uh -huh. great, great uh, strike price. You know, uh, to come in at that point. And so, yeah, it was it was a you know. Thankfully, I did exercise. Exercise meaning you kept, you held on to them, and then you you benefited from the exit. Yeah. So the way it works, and this is something I learned, you know, because coming into the startup world at the time, I was coming from a public company, right? There's RSUs. You get these restricted stock units, yeah. uh, which are actually liquid. You can literally sell them as soon as their the lockup period is up. So there's an immediate cash out that you can you can achieve. But when it comes to you know private companies, early stage startups, you get more commonly stock options. And so for okay. some people, this may be totally obvious. A lot of people, it may not be. And so. You know, with the options, all it is is an option to buy a stock at a certain price. Mm -hmm. And you can choose to buy it when you're granted that option, or you can choose to wait to exercise that at a later date when you've kind of seen the uh, upside, see, so okay. to speak. That makes sense. But yeah. when you wait, you are also subject to taxation on the gain. So if you exercise early, mm -hmm. right away, before there's any sort of gain in the value, you don't have to pay taxation on that gain. But you don't then you will you are on the hook for taxes later so that's something that's just like a kind of an interesting detail that you know obviously you want to seek out financial advisor advice on all this stuff but uh this is just a you know interesting yeah. thing i learned and so and so you held on to the you held on to the stock options until the acquisition yeah, I, and, I, and exactly yeah yeah okay and was that was, and then it, I was, was that yeah. That was a nice, nice payday. Then I, I gather. Can you tell yeah, us well, it's, like it's what the amount happening. was? Yeah. Oh, it is happening. okay. So, uh, you know, it's basically you know uh, still finalizing. So, yeah, I mean, you can look at the press release if you want to see the, see the details of what the, the final exit was. But yeah, I think you know it's a key for me when I was going through this process was to think of Digit as enjoying the process and not get fixated on the upside. Obviously, everybody gets into an early stage company thinking about the ultimate upside and impact that you can make, but you have to enjoy the process throughout. And so even as we were building this, you know, I didn't let it get in my head, so to speak, you know, yeah. what, what it ends up with on the exit. And then it just ends up being an, an excellent cherry. That's right. That's end, right. When it yeah. Happens. It's just one of, it's like an investment. Maybe it'll work out. Maybe it won't. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's, that's good attitude. So you left digit, and so you you said you got into startup worlds. Is that um, is that when you started your own stuff or? Yeah, I mean, I would say getting into digit was really when I got into the startup world. So after you know, I was there about eight years. So then I was like, I want to start again, do something totally from scratch all over again because that was the most fun that I had at all the time at Digit was the earliest days. Yeah. So um, I took some time off to to kind of a little sabbatical to unwind, and then said, I'm going to start with some like micro SaaS. I'm kind of fascinated by this like trend I'm seeing where it's like super focused. One feature that really does one thing, one thing well. Uh, I'm an engineer, so I love the Unix philosophy, which says a command does one thing and one thing. And, well, only one thing. And it's just a nice, simple model to work with. And so I'm going to launch some micro SaaS. And so I did one in like, see what have been May of 2020, I think it was. 
and I kind of found a niche audience that existed. You know, I didn't want to like build a market. I wanted to find a kind of niche already and then build a, mm-hmm. a SaaS around that. And so I actually did like two throughout that year. One is kind of on the shelf, but the other I was able to actually exit. And that was the one that I sold on microacquire.com, you know, totally different order of magnitude as digit as far as yeah. uh, value and, and exit amount. But cool to see like that kind of focused value of a micro SaaS. Uh-huh. Something that has a resellability to it. So tell me about that. I'm curious why. Like, first of all, tell me how you got into this. What made you pick the niche? What you know, like, what was the product? In in my sabbatical, I was just like kind of unwinding and reading a lot of social media, just hanging out on Twitter, and mm. I kind of came across this like niche, what I would call money Twitter. Yeah, and this is like crypto uh, stuff, or, or is kind it, of. It, it's twi- I would say crypto Twitter is a part of that. Is like a subset yeah. of it. So with money Twitter, it's all about just making money online through various yeah. means. So online marketing, online businesses, and then yeah. within that, I found there was the resellers. They are basically flipping retail products, you know, buying at local stores and then selling, just doing online arbitrage, selling on eBay or selling on Amazon, Amazon Marketplace. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so I saw there was this huge influencer had a course and a program. And I actually joined just to see what was going on. I noticed that they were doing tons of manual work. And so all these people are all about making money, yet they had an extremely inefficient process. And so I just basically built a really simple app around that. But the key was, is I really built up a lot of trust in the community first. So I basically stewarded the community and the audience before having anything to sell. And Mm -hmm. that allowed me to really understand the problem deeply, have some allies, meaning people kind of who are more prominent in the community, they were basically affiliates that could help me promote. And so that allowed me to get to, I hit a thousand bucks MRR in the first month of launching and it only took a month to launch. So I was able to hit 1K MRR just in two months, basically zero to to 100. And so I gather this is sort of a low priced item then? Was it kind of like- Yeah, so I played around with pricing um, a little bit. It started at 26 bucks a month. Uh-huh. Ended up realizing that was a bit high for a lot of these people. They're kind of like new to business in general. So they're kind of new to the idea of investing into things that help them make more money. So I dropped it to 15 mm-hmm. um, and played around with different affiliate shares. And that was on a monthly like subscription basis. Okay. And grew it to like you grew it to what level before you sold? So the one I actually sold. Uh, That's not the Subsell. one you sold. No, no, no. So that this is a oh. different one called Subself. Oh, okay. Okay. And uh, this other one is actually, if, if you'd like to focus on the one that had, had an exit versus the more, more of the cash flow, um, the one that I sold on, on uh, MicroAcquire is basically, call it a mindset app. It's in the mindset space. And what it is, is a, you're familiar with affirmations. Well, yeah. there's yeah. Um, you can pick a track and then you can record your own affirmations over that track and then download it. So it's like you can kind of hear your own voice reading your own affirmations over a pleasing like binaural beat or something meditative. And so it was an app that let you record all that and then download. Uh, and so I ended up selling that to someone who was integrating it in a broader suite of products around kind of workspace uh, or workplace, rather workplace mindset tools and things like that. So. That's the beauty of the micro SaaS. I think I would like to emphasize as a takeaway is it's so plug and playable. It makes it easily acquirable because it's something that she could incorporate into a broader like product suite really easily. So it sounds like th- these two products are something that is the one go- going, the one that's um, helping the um, arbitrage e-commerce yeah. guys that's still going. Yeah, so we, 
we've really not focused on growth because we've since then pivoted my team to helping other people, like, you know, getting people who want to fund ideas. So having other investors versus our own products that we're uh, incubating and, and investing in. So we've not really gr tried to grow it too much, but okay. we really took it as more of a case study of how to quickly go to market. Here's our stack. Here's our marketing playbook. Here is the like zero to one playbook. And that we've been executing over and over with all of our clients. Okay. I, that makes sense. And it sounds to me like you have an interesting model because you not only do you help them, but you also take in equity stakes. Can you sort of walk me through the you know, how you got to that place and, and how that worked? Yeah. So, I mean, it really depends on which deal it is and how we, you know, like to set it up. But generally, we only want to work with people that we really believe in the product. So, you know, some there are some development agencies where they just take whatever work and they just do what is asked of them. And we yeah. come in as much more of like a strategic partner uh, that's like going to help drive the product roadmap. And given that additional value, we like to take an equity stake as well because of the value we'll add, but more importantly, we want to be in it on the long game. And so that means we only choose products and clients that we really believe in and want to work with. So it's much more of a partnership than a typical, just like service-based uh, mm -hmm. agency. And that's really why we think of ourselves as more of like a startup studio rather than like a development agency. Yeah. It's, it sounds sort of like an incubator or something. Yes. Bit, eh? Much Is more that like right? that. Yeah. yeah I, or, or you could also think of it as like sweat equity for venture capital. Yeah. So instead of just cutting a check, we're actually able to bring in, say, below market rate expertise okay. to really accelerate things. That's very interesting. So what sort of, how are you, what's the deal flow like or where are you getting these, are you, like, how are you getting these leads or the Pretty projects? much all through, I would say, social media for more organic sort of natural uh, attraction. We do a little bit of paid more for around market testing, but cold email still works wonders. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, and so I would say the more, that's more for established companies that have already done, you know, they've got something going, but uh -huh. as far as like new leads, like people who have an idea uh, and they want to, you know, invest that comes through social media, I would say. And then the, the partner networks through other venture capitalists that we partner with. So we've got a, some VCs that we work with where they've got a portfolio of companies. We can come in and help either refurbish some of the things that are going on if there's problems or we can help them launch new ideas as well. So a lot of that's just kind of word of mouth, really. Right. Okay. So, so are you actually then a software agency where you're helping them do the coding and stuff? Yeah, we do done for you as well. Yeah, we've got engineers uh, all over okay. the world. And I think that's another advantage we have is, you know, I'm an engineer by trade. I've got other really great uh, U.S.-based senior, you know, CTO level engineers. And we're able to mentor and help guide a lot of these more junior uh, internationally based developers. And so it's what's cool is we get really talented folks for a great rate. They're getting incredible experience. Yeah. And, you know, we're having fun mentoring. So it's like, it's really win, win for everyone. And you're kind of and doing code reviews and things like that. Yep. Yeah, we're yeah. hands on every day. Uh, okay, you know, helping them with the code writing code ourselves. And so I mean, I still write code from time to time, because I love it. I'm a builder yeah. at heart. Yeah, oh, that's great. So you walk me through the sort of sales process. You, somebody comes to you or you reach out to them, you get into a conversation and you're and you're like, okay, this project's, you know, how do you even know that you're getting interested in the project? Well, yeah, it's a much slower sales process, I would say, than 
you know, anything consumer, obviously. And it's, we have a few calls where we really get to know each other. I mean, I would say I probably, uh, one, you know, VC, one of the first that I partnered with, I would say we had regular discussions kind of over actually, you know, over a messenger and stuff for probably a good six weeks or so. We had a few actual zoom calls, but Uh typically these people are super busy. So it's just like kind of fly by messaging a lot of the times to build a rapport. They kind of see my content. Like I do a lot of, uh, videos and, posts, you know, in various like SaaS groups and stuff just to kind of uh-huh. show, you know, give value and sh- both give value and show what I know. And so people kind of get exposed to that. But I would say it usually it's like you get in with one and then it's in this case with a VC, they've got multiple companies. And yeah, and then, you know, I think we also approach uh, funded companies as well. And there's, you know, lead lists you can buy where you can get all the recently funded startups whatever stage you're curious about and you can email them, message them on LinkedIn, things like that. Okay. So you reach out, you get, you get a list of all the people that recently got say like a seed series or a series A or something. Yep. Um, is, is there any, any sort of funded stage that you find responds better? I would say a lot's happening in uh, Sweden right now. Like, We've got one of, one of our partners is there, but also independently, I'm getting messaged by a lot of different founders and, and companies that are based there. So it seems like Europe in general, a lot's happening. I mean, a lot of our work is is uh, going to Europe and, you know, we're kind of thinking of it as like, how do we export Silicon Valley to the rest of the world? Like, what are some of those winning best practices that we can spread? Because a lot of the, the VC money's going to the rest of the world now. Okay, that makes sense. So, so you, you get in with, uh, you get a call do you, mm-hmm. are you essentially saying, you know, if you get to a point with a customer, you're like, I, I don't like the sounds, of this. I don't think it's going to work, or I don't like this, uh, this guy is, doesn't sound like he's going to be a good leader. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the biggest things is like, if we're talking companies that are established, for me, we're more looking at like mission alignment, like we want to do impact type products that mm-hmm. are really going to help real life, not necessarily like monopolize people's time. Like we don't want to build the next TikTok. We want to like build things that are going to make people's real life connections better yeah, uh, versus okay. something that's kind of fully digital. So that's an example of like a principle that we hold. And so we can look at the product and say, this doesn't really align with, with what we're doing. But, you know, uh, when it comes to ideas that are not yet launched and not established, we look for, I mean, the biggest thing is we, we love the idea of bootstrapping, but we look for people that are doing it full time. And okay. that means they need to really be like Fully all committed. in on the idea yeah. we want to see because we're going all in. We want to see a similar level. So we yeah. found people that do it on the side. It's a tough, tough path because we like to move quickly and take it seriously. And those are the, some of the types that we look for. Okay. So so as an agency, most agencies aren't in a position where they can, they're like, if they get a lead, they're turning it away. It sounds like you, yep. you're, that's a big core part of your business model. Now, is that because when you do take on a client, you're kind of going all in and, you know, like you, so you just want say maybe six or seven, like bigger clients. Is that, is that about sound? Yeah, about exactly. Right? We try to think fewer and bigger or uh-huh. at least longer term. That's the main yeah. thing. So they don't necessarily have to be a big company, but like, yeah, making sure that it's, there's runway or at least a path to a runway that's long time. Cause what we do is we recruit, we go out there and we build a team around it and we get people excited about what's going on. And that's how we uh-huh. recruit great engineers. And so it's like, if we're going to all that effort, we want to know it's going to be around in six months. 
yeah. and it's that we're here for the long haul. So that's a, an important thing is that funding or fundraising, there's a path for that long term. Okay. Now, uh, walk me through sort of the contractual relationship in the beginning. So what's the conversation like? Do do they understand that you're, you're sort of an incubator? Is that why they're coming to you? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say like we have full control over the technical stack, you know, like this is what needs to happen versus like being service-based. Like we are servant, we're servant leaders in the sense that we're, you know, there to serve, but we're going to lead the good decisions and lead what needs to happen. So I think, yeah, we, they come to us with that expectation. That's part of the differentiator that we're not just order takers, but actually like order riders. Right. So you're going to be like saying, okay, you have the idea. It's this, the client has the idea and you're going to sort of guide them. We help refine from, it. Like, yeah, yeah, like refine it in from an architecture point of view. This is okay. Yes. Maybe this is the direction that we need to go in terms of the tech, tech stack or whatever. Yeah, um, and avoid the tendency to build the wrong thing or the right thing at the wrong time. That's probably like one of the biggest mistakes is people building something that does need to be built. Like if you blow out the timeline of a company, but it's not now. And so that yeah. ends up distracting from what is most urgent and ends up killing a company. Okay. And talk to me about like, how do you get into the price? So you, your business model sounds like you need to charge them something, right? Cause you're hiring and you have to, you have right. costs. With, yeah. With there this. is fee base and that's where we get into equity and fee. And so it's like, you know, that is always a negotiation of what does it look like? What does the cap table look like? Is this options or is it pure equity? Right. Because we were saying yeah. earlier, there's the options like you still have to pay money to exercise those options. There's yeah. a cash outlay to do that versus just equity that's immediately available. So um, there's other situations where there's uh, rev share. Right. If we're talking equity, there's an implication that there's going to be an exit. If yeah. the, if the business model doesn't make sense for an exit, there's lots of business models that don't make sense to be like a unicorn, but they can be amazing cash cows. Right. Yeah. So it's like, we'll negotiate a rev share, a revenue share on something like that, because the equity is meaningless if there's no exit strategy. I so see, if we okay. can't see an exit strategy, then we don't want equity, but we would okay. love rev share. So okay. it really comes down to the business model. Okay. And at what point are you sort of, do you determine that? I mean, when you, is this like, have you closed them already as a client or? Yeah. And okay. we've got some in flight, you know, around, I would say the rev shares take a lot longer to close because for a lot of people, it's a more serious thing because it's affecting, you know, the cash, but, you know, it's good because it forces the discussion of like, what is this really worth to you, you know, to make sure that this is done, you know, flawlessly and in the way it needs to be done. And so it does warrant a chunk of the flow. And so it just comes down to how it works. And I think there's also like, I'm more willing to wheel and deal with a venture capitalist who has a lot of companies than an individual entrepreneur, because I know the opportunity of that relationship to do more work and how that leads to. So none of this is really fixed. It comes down to individual deals. Like you'd see with any sort of, you know, VC writing a check into an investment. So really the deal flow for you is coming from VCs. So you, when you're going out prospecting, it sounds like you're not prospecting directly to the companies. You're, you're going to the we're VCs. Doing both. And the, okay, yeah, we're, we're doing we're both. We're doing both. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They have different concerns, but they all have the same goal. And so, yeah, we just have different marketing to each. And and what's it what, like? What sort of equity are people prepared to 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 give up in terms of? Uh, you're giving them a break on 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 development. Is that is that essentially what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, 
Well, yeah, when you think of like what it costs to hire, you know, a full-time developer, because basically it takes away their need to bring on, you know, full-on full-time employees, which it's hard to do right now. And it allows them to get started kind of incrementally. And I think yeah. instead of just fighting for all the same Silicon Valley engineers, what we're doing is breaking out into these other markets, yeah. uh, other parts of the world, Brazil, Georgia, you know, the typical outsourcing areas yeah. too, but like Brazil and Georgia are newer for us. And, and I think for in general, um, and so, yeah, we're able to offer better rates. And then it also ends up being kind of like a training ground, a boot camp of sorts for those folks as well. Okay. And what kind of rates are you paying, like, say, for an engineer in Georgia? It kind of varies on the experience level, of course. But, um, you know, it depends anywhere from, like, probably 25 an hour to 50 an hour. It kind of just depends uh, what what their like experience level is yeah right right so you, yeah. that's your rate and then and then you charge clients like what what kind of rate are are you charging charging your clients it's usually you know it depends again we have wiggle room right depending on equity right right you know so many variables so it's hard to say what the the so let's is, i'm but. trying to figure like i'm trying to figure out like what the equity is worth to them so let's say you, let's say you've got an engineer in brazil that's that you're paying 25 you you would you would, that sounds to me like the conversation with the client would be well we you know we would charge you fifty but if you give me a rev, you know rev share if you give me I'll give you forty or thirty five or something like yeah, that is it totally I mean that is the kind of conversation and again yeah there's so many variables but that would be the situation is like we're going to be able to get you and the other thing is like we're really creative with who we hire and what hats they can wear simultaneously so you know instead of saying, well, you need a team of five people, it's like we can get the same work done with these three because of who they are. Yeah. And it's going to cost X. And so we're really intentional and strategic about the team that we assemble and how we hire them. And how is the hiring for you? Because this is, hiring is a big deal right now. Uh, yeah. Post, post COVID, I've, I've had a, personally had a really tough time. These guys are kind of, you know, dictating their terms. It's not like, pre-COVID that, that I, in my experience, how are you finding uh, um, your hiring going? Our, yeah, I mean, it is hard. It's always hard, but I would say our advantage is that we make it so fun to work with us through good work, meaning uh -huh. they come and work with us and it's like, they're going to work on awesome projects because we're so selective. And it's remote first one. and it's because you're obviously first, yeah. big. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're all over um, the world too. And so we help, and then they get to get mentorship from us directly. And so they see our experience, they know who we are me and the other CTOs, like staff CTOs. Yeah. And so yeah. to them, it's like, it's better than a boot camp. They're getting paid to learn and have fun. And so uh -huh. it's like, that's an advantage where sometimes these companies, they don't make it sound exciting at all to work there. You know, it's just like, they're going through the motions. It's, uh, you know, it's like, you got to remember this is someone's future career. You know, the next X number of years, they need to make sure that they're going to build the right career capital to mm -hmm. launch them into the next level of their career. And so, I think the problem is a lot of hiring managers think of it as self-serving instead of the perspective. Like it's marketing, it's sales. Yeah, it's not yeah, about the totally. company. Yeah, that's right. How? What kind of uh, equity are you getting in the in the companies generally? Like w when you go to say, let's say, let's do we'll break it down into three categories. When you go for mm -hmm. equity, you generally think they're going to go for an exit. Mm -hmm. What kind of equity are are people willing to give you for the this service that you're doing? depends if they're established or not and like how early it is like how formative we are on the core product so i'd say anywhere from like 
15% if we're coming early and we are forming the product, like we are creating the lion's share of okay. the value yeah. to, you know, a couple of percent if it's more established, like you would okay. see on like somebody else on the cap table, okay. like another investor in a round. Okay. And so do you, which do you prefer? Do you prefer the early uh, ones where you come in? I think I, it's more about impact, I would say. But yeah, I guess I like, and what I mean by impact is what, how, where is it and where can we take it? So it's like, yeah. what's the delta that I Your like impact, can, your impact, yes. you mean? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That we, we can help them in this incredible way, but it does okay. need to have ultimately the end. So, but I want to make sure it's not, we're not just doing like incremental help because it doesn't seem valuable Yeah. when it's incremental. So we want to do like big, big steps. Yeah. Okay. So the conversation would be if someone, let's say some comes to you with an idea they're not. They're pre-revenue. They don't have anything, and the, but they I, but they've got some funding. Um, yeah. Is it is and so the conversation would be like, yeah, we can definitely help you, uh, mm -hmm. but in order to do this, in order for this to be interesting, uh, you know, we want to take fifteen percent. Call it. How does that? Is it? Do you find resistance with that? How is? How does that uh, go? I mean, you can't just like pitch that cold. Hey, give me 15% of your business. You know, right, I'd say it's right, like it happens right. after quite a bit of like trust building conversations. Yeah. So you start, it, you actually start building the product and then you introduce that, uh, like say six months into the, into the, into the build or. Yeah. I would say like, sometimes we do do this as like an exploratory, like due diligence project yeah. where we basically say, okay, you've got something it's pre-revenue. Maybe you have a product or at whatever stage we could do due diligence that presumes there's something that exists already, but. We can come in and say, all right, here's what's going on. We do our 12 point assessment and say, here's, you know, the concerns and here are the commendations and here are recommendations to make the concerns. Okay. And make them commendations. And we can help you with that if that's something you want. And then it's like, that's a way to kind of prove our value and worth, show uh -huh. them thing blind spots that they didn't even know they had. And then, you know, take it from there. What's the twelve point assessment? Is that part of? Is that an onboarding uh, process that you guys? Yeah, do? it's it's twelve. It's you know twelve different points of really what would be considered. Can you tell me what those twelve points are? Yeah, like kind of I mean, quickly. What I would suggest it's it's this is totally open source. Um, yeah, and so if you go to twelvefactorapp.net, um, this is not something that we've like. Oh, it's not um, yours. Okay. I've never it, heard not, of this. Yeah. Yeah. Ch check it out. It's basically, it's again, this is like the kind of stuff we're packaging up and exporting out of Silicon Valley. It's like, these are the best practices that all. So this is a, like a Silicon Valley thing. Yeah. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. So, and 12 so we take that. Okay. Yeah. We take that and just apply okay. that. Yeah. If we just apply that to any given thing, um, most people you'll find don't even realize it, that it exists, but it's kind of the gold standard. And so. That's one of the frameworks that we apply. We do have some of our own, you know, things that we've developed, but like we help people with, with things like OKRs. Obviously, you didn't create OKRs, but yeah, we help people with that with our specific playbook that kind of wraps that up. Okay, and um, and so the twelve factors determines for you, like, okay, is this going to be an equity play? Is this going to be rev share? Is that it's a good way of it's like a temperature check to say what's going on, what's their ways of working, how broken is this, so to speak, right? To know what we can do to improve. It's also a way to see how I we work with them. Like, yeah, do they take this feedback well? Can yeah. they make it happen? You know, it kind of allows me to understand how their organization works. 
is that somebody we even want to partner with longer term okay that makes sense and um for when it comes to the ref shares you said there's some resistance uh, when you're selecting someone for rev share they're already got their cash flows good why wouldn't they just pay you know pay for like full price for a developer and why would they come to you and they can they absolutely yeah. can um it's not that we'll necessarily turn it away if we believe fully in like the end impact you know it's just that, like when it comes down to negotiating you know a lot of entrepreneurs like to negotiate just out of sheer principle and so it's like okay yeah. well let's Let's get yeah. some skin in the game, and here's what we don't want equity. We want cash flow because there is no exit strategy. Yeah. So it's not a necessarily saying like we're cash hungry. It's more just like what's the upside? Is there an exit planned? If not, then there is no upside. Doesn't matter if you give us a ninety nine percent. Yeah, and and what? So I, why wouldn't there be an? Is every it, to me like a good entrepreneur always has an exit strategy? Why wouldn't there be an exit strategy? Uh, I mean, that you find if it's just a, such an incredibly margin cash cow, like maybe What's they'll want to sell their equity, their stake, info products. Um, you know, we've got one info product that like tech leaders, um, which you know that is that I'm a, a joint venture that we're in, and that's an example of like the margins are so incredible that doesn't necessarily need to um you know you can do that unless you know one you could do that forever theoretically obviously there is you know we all exit the ultimate exit but like there's lots of you know i don't want to wait around for 15 years while someone gets old because it's such easy money and i think yeah. that's what i what i'm getting at is like there are some sasses that are basically no code things slapped together but serve an incredible niche with such amazing markup that it just is a great cash cow, and maybe why would they ever sell that? Okay, and so when they come to you, why do they need tech? Why do they need tech help for these? Because um, like I would say product. there's a huge opportunity. It's about the arbitrage between niche industries and seeing an opportunity and the know-how to execute a solution on it. So, you know, one example is uh, a partner client who, you know, it's basically software for plastic surgeons. It's like so specific, right? But it's like yeah. He's a plastic surgeon. He saw is, an incredible so he knows opportunity. It. So right. he, he so, knows he's solving his own problem. Exactly, exactly. Saw it. And again, we love product. The product matters. But I think I didn't really mention this, but we have to see what the distribution plan is. Like, what? Who? where is the market? Like, a lot of people have great ideas, but if they have no idea how to go about distribution, you know, we can go discover that, but it's not nearly as exciting to us if... That's not already built in. So this guy, he's a plastic surgeon. That's a nice little channel of distribution already built in. He's in a huge network of people. And so that to us is really enticing, but only he sees that opportunity or other people like that person. Uh, and we have the know-how. So that's a perfect example of bridging that gap. Okay. And in, and in this scenario with this plastic surgeon, he has an info product or is this SaaS? So he this is SaaS. This is okay, SAS. and he and didn't know. Just, like, what's yeah. what? Give me an example. Of, like, what what the problem is, and and what? Yeah. So I mean, it's it's basically you know marketing, digital marketing, with some additional kind of things specific to plastic surgeons. So it's bringing kind of like fire to cavemen, so to speak, like bringing modern you know follow ups, drip campaigns, sequences, okay, okay. stuff like so, that. So to practices. It's like a so sort it's basically, of a a marketing like dashboard. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, white labeling an existing CRM with integration to EMRs, which is what they use in office. So to actually like register patients. 
So it's like not, not uh, you know, their patient records, but it's basically what allows them to map a customer to someone that has a book to patient and then understand ROI. So if they run ads, they can understand what is the ROI on, what's the ROAS on this ad campaign. Okay. And so in this scenario, the guy came to you. Um, he says he's obviously knows what he's doing. So he's like a really good plastic surgeon. He's his business yeah. is successful. Maybe he doesn't even need to be there because he's right. got he's good so good at his direct response marketing. And so he was like, I see. I'm in this. I'm in this organization. There's say maybe a hundred of these plastic surgeons, and none of them have a clue on how to get patients. Yeah. I want to come out and help them because, and I just have to do, you know, run my, you know, basically rebuild what I'm already doing, but I yep. need to automate it. So he comes to you. Why does he come to you? Uh, how does it, first of all, how did he Let's find see. you? I found him. That was through a referral. Okay. From someone that found me on Facebook. Okay. So I was just live coding one day on Facebook just for fun. Yeah, I said I like to build sometimes, so I just went live and it was just showing. Here's our stack. Like, check this out. This is how we like to build things that are scalable, fast. What is, What is your stack, by the way? Um, so definitely JavaScript heavy. We try to do Node.js, React uh -huh. on the front end. Firebase is our preferred back end. It's in Google Firebase is an incredible product. So I was showing off really? Firebase. Okay, okay. you like you like Firebase better than now. Node for the back end. Well, uh, it is still Node. It's just running on Firebase. Uh, it's basically okay. Google Cloud Platform, Okay. basically, under the hood. So you have AWS is kind of uh, the two houses would be AWS and GCP, Google Cloud Platform. Okay. We ran AWS when I was a digit for years and years. So I saw, I know that, like the back of my hand, started using GCP with Firebase specifically in front of it. And it's just like uh -huh. a bunch of tools to make things easier and nicer. And I, I'm never going back to AWS. So Really? Okay, that's interesting. I, I prefer it. We've been using it in production for about 18 months now, and it's awesome. Really? Okay, that's a, that's a really nice tip. Okay, so g going back to this, um, this uh, plastic surgeon. So he comes to you and he says, I want to build this thing. I want to build this, this dashboard or this um, yep. marketing uh, CRM or for plastic surgeons. Presumably has some kind of API into whatever backend that they use. Yep. And and so it needs to plug in, and then you then do you plug in to say like an active campaign, or do you build your autoresponders? We use Go High Level, but yes, it would be it could, we could do either. In this case, he already had Go High Level kind of for his own practice. So basically, he was taking his success he found in digital marketing, his own practice, like you're saying, and he's like, wow, this is adding so much more monthly revenue. Just these simple campaigns. Let's do this for everybody else. And so we've just been kind of building on more integrations. We like to start with what I call low code. So it's like using a, a little bit of code and no code tools wherever we can. Yeah, uh, I like the term Flintstone tools. Like we're just using like lo-fi stuff wherever we can. Anything like what's an example of the tools to. that you like? Retool is an example for using dashboards, admin dashboards for Firebase. So it hooks up to Firebase. Okay. It's no code. So you don't have to like have an internal tools team to build a admin dashboard for your support team. You uh -huh. can just have, and we've had to do that like a digit. We had to have so, an engineer dedicated to doing something like that. Yeah. Retool didn't exist. So stuff like that we love. Retool. Uh, web, okay, Webflow I like that. Okay. is great. Webflow, I know. Do you, um, like this, what's it, Glide app or something? Something that hooks up to like Google Sheets? Is that what you're talking about? 
Yeah, uh, when it comes to actual apps, we like to use real stack like React.js or React uh, Native. Um, we don't really like to use the no-code tools for building the apps themselves, just because like you outgrow them so quickly and we're all about like grow. So we would build it and then break it immediately, meaning like need to upgrade to something right. else. And okay, I think it's a good way to start when maybe to, you're like less clear what you're doing. And, proof yeah, of proof of concept. Of concept. Yeah. But yeah. we like to do a prototype in Figma and then go okay. straight into React from there. So you can get clickable screens and stuff like that. Yeah. But okay. it's all, you know, going from Figma basically to real code at that point. Okay, that's that's and and you find Figma is good. We're just we're getting I'm converting my team all now to Figma. I love it. Love Figma. Um, yeah. yeah, it's and, it's awesome. And you find We've it just like really years. good really good to go for say like direct to start cutting html and things like that yeah yeah um straight from like we just go from like sketch uh -huh. to figma to um not it's not as sketch but literally like whiteboard to figma yeah okay to code is about the only steps that we that we take and i'd say we look for front-end developers that are really good at you know interpreting like they're fairly design-minded and so they take a a Figma and can easily translate that, you know, to, yeah, we don't necessarily mock out every single screen and pixel. Okay. It's a waste yep, of time. We like to get yeah. people that can translate. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. So um, in, in the case of the plastic surgeon, again, like what did you end up doing with him uh, in terms of like uh, taking equity or? Yeah. So in this case we did do an equity cause there's lots of, like it's got a nice cash flow, but there's, we did equity because there's lots of exits in the space. So we've seen multiple companies that were EMRs got bought up by bigger incumbents. And so I see lots of that going on. And so knowing that, like did a little research and um, I was more intrigued by that than yeah. the cash flow. So, you know, we've been working with them for about a year now. And uh -huh. um, how much equity we're starting was, to, he, was he willing to give you? Uh, he sounds like a pretty sharp guy. Like he's probably going to yeah, be pretty yeah, tough. I, yeah. I, I, I'd rather not divulge that that detail <laughs> right. uh, just because it's currently <laughs> act, active. I hope no you can worries, appreciate no worries. that. Yeah, but, yeah of um, course. If it was, if you know, I'll tell you offline. But uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think I want to respect the the privacy of, of, of course. My clients, How but, about can you I tell think, me what, like yeah. revenues? Can can you tell me like what when when um, he came to you? What was he doing? And what's he doing? He had now? nothing at first. He had nothing. Oh really? So okay. We built this from scratch. Um, MVP, but what's cool is we're starting to piss off the incumbents. And so I love when I see that. Oh, wow. Well, that, yeah. So it's like, they'll either pay us to go away or meaning we'll with the, they'll buy you, buy you out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like, uh, I love to see the ruffled feathers. That's always yeah. a good indication. So I'm, I'm gathering that you're getting product market fit or you pass product market fit with that product. Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah. The biggest hurdle actually is kind of being held back by partner potential competitors. That's our biggest okay. hurdle right now. Is, is it because the space is so tight? Is that what it is? It's because it's um, like a... Yeah, there's only so many EMRs. We integrate yeah. with the EMRs. The EMRs are kind of the old guard. They don't understand the value of integrations yet. Yeah. And so they yeah. think they're annoyed by us and they're like, oh, wait, these people are coming to eat our lunch or something. And then they're starting yeah. to see that. They could yeah. partner and grow more, but it's actually, they're seeing it kind of the scarcity mindset instead of the abundance yeah. mindset. So they see it as a threat. Right, exactly. Classic yeah. like disruption of yeah. old stuff. And so there's lots of those kinds of opportunities. I'm convinced of it. You just have to get to know some of these like niche industry elite folks 
yeah. they've got all kinds of ideas, I think. And would you consider this a micro SaaS? No, I'd call this probably a, a more full-blown one. It's pretty fully featured. It is fully featured. It's yeah, it's just got like a lot of This has potential to do like 500,000 MRR and stuff or? Yeah, I think so. It really comes down to the sales process. And right now the biggest bottleneck is like getting access to the EMRs themselves. Like they have to issue an API key. They have to stand up new infrastructure. Uh -huh. It's ex it, like it takes like weeks. And so that's okay. the biggest bottleneck. Okay. So we're seeing though, which is exciting, is clients are getting enough value just from the front end features, meaning the digital marketing stuff, not even integrating with their back office that we're able to sell that alone. So it might not even slow us down, but it's less of a moat Yeah, that's defensible. So Great. Listen, Todd, we're getting close to the end, end of our hour, so I want to thank you so much for your time. Thanks um, for having me. Yeah. And, and people can obviously, where would, where would I send someone if they're interested in checking out your incubator? Because I want to call yeah. it an incubator because that's what it sounds like to me. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, salesandsoftware.com would be the, the location of the incubator. Okay. Salesandsoftware.com and Tech Leaders yep. as well is another one. Yep. Tech Leader uh, Institute. Yep. Okay. Tech Leader Institute. Great. And um, and if pe people want to reach out to you, how can they do that? What's the best way? Twitter, LinkedIn? Yeah, I'm on Twitter uh, at Remote Branch, uh, LinkedIn, uh, Todd Larson, Sales and Software. You can find that out okay. there as well. Okay. Facebook, great. I'm pretty active there too. Yeah. And maybe just one last question. Someone that is on the fence right now, they're about to start a SaaS. What would you, what would you tell them the most important thing to do is, um, at that, at that stage in, in, you know, like I'm, I want to do this. What do you think is mm -hmm. the most important thing they can do? Focus on distribution in the market, market driven development. You know, you may be familiar with test driven development, TDD. We mm -hmm. like MDD. Like what is the market saying? what needs to be built now versus later. Um, and so, yeah, make sure that you have distribution in the market locked down versus kind of the field of dreams mistake of building it and hoping they will come. Okay. And so to better define that is, is find that like, can you connect where is your, that client going to be and yep. define the problem like beforehand and make sure like sort of validate exactly. It was, it, and I'd okay. say the more you can do to co-create with the market, too is key like meaning getting feedback early and often yeah, from sure. the actual users yeah for, for sure yeah okay great stuff thank you so much for your time todd thank you jordy all right bye-bye thanks for listening to the big break software podcast with your host jordy wardman be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web Keep listening and your software big break could be right around the corner.